What's going on, everyone? Welcome into today's show. Today is Wednesday, August 31st, 2022, the last day of August, the true last day of the last month of summer, in my eyes. We got a lot to talk about today. We'll start in Major League Baseball. We're going to review the last week for the Cubs, go over our weekly standings to update, talk about a DFA of a former big-time slugger, another Albert Pujols home run has been hit, so we're going to go over his track to 700. Aaron Judge is in the headlines, and we have two prospects who have been called up in the last week. In the NFL, we're going to review the Bears' final preseason game. We're going to talk about a few other bullets. We're going to talk about the Bears' 53-man roster that has been updated as of today with a couple with one major new signing. And then a couple other cuts and trades have gone down in the last 48 hours. College football, we will be reviewing week zero this past weekend, along with previewing the week one games coming up here starting tomorrow, then Friday and Saturday. And we have our mega preview going over all the conference standings, all the awards, and the eventual conference champions. And we will end this show with a top 10 of current college football head coaches. Whole lot of information coming your way here. This edition of the Ox Show starts right now. Without further ado, let's dive right into things. Welcome in, everyone. Major League Baseball at the top of the show, as always. Let's look into the last week of Chicago Cubs baseball. We last were on the air last Thursday. Cubs finished up a set with St. Louis. Five-game set. We talked about that, that they lost the series. So since then, five games have been played, and they're currently playing a game right now three-game series in Milwaukee over the weekend. They were able to take the opener Friday night 4-3 to three on an epic ending. Manny Rodriguez made his season debut in the 10th inning. Bases loaded one out, got himself out of the jam by forcing a beautiful double play. Nick Madrigal heads up baseball, tagging the runner, running to second, flipping the ball to first, all in one motion it seemed as if, and the Cubs were able to take the opener. It also clinched the Cubs the Overall season, a season-winning record against the Brewers, and they obviously dropped the final two. So on the year, the Cubs went 10-9 and against Milwaukee. Huge accomplishment for the boys. On Saturday, they lost 7-0 in a game that Drew Smiley pitched very, very well in, throwing six scoreless, and then it was the bullpen that ultimately tanked it for the Cubs, and it's been a very rough week for the bullpen. Rough season for the bullpen in general, and a very rough second half. Rowan Wick and Michael Rucker gave up seven runs in the final two, yeah, two innings of that one. And then a 9-7 loss on Sunday, a game started by Adrian Sampson going five, or going three and a third, giving up one run. And Sean Newcomb giving up six runs in an innings worth of work, tanked the Cubs once again. The offense was never able to fully come back from that one losing the series whoever they won the season set with Milwaukee now Toronto tonight they're currently playing to avoid a sweep as they lost the opener Monday night five to four in 11 innings it was a tough one Javier Assad pitched incredible again in his second career start he threw five scoreless frames giving up only four hits two walks and a punch out once again leaving the game up five nothing with a chance to get a victory in his second career start the bullpen let things go by the wayside again, and they lost a tough one in extras. And then last night, a 5-3 to three loss as well. Another game blown by the pen-ish. Strowman, Marcus Stroman returned to Rogers Center and pitched fairly well. Five innings of one-run ball. 
Brendan Little made his big league debut, and it was not a very good one in the sixth, giving up three runs in two-thirds of an inning. However, I was impressed by Jeremiah Estrada, who also made his big league debut out of the pen last night. He threw the eighth inning, struck out two. His fastball was reaching up to 99. We love to see that in the Cubs' bullpen. It seems like the Cubs have the only bullpen in the majors where we don't have a single hard upper 90 throwing relief pitcher. Hopefully, Jeremiah Estrada can be that guy. I definitely think we found a gem in him in our system. I don't see him heading back down to the minors anytime soon. And now currently tonight, they're currently up 5-2, to two, heading into the bottom of the fourth. Luke Farrell pitched two innings, gave up two runs and two hits. And Manny Rodriguez came to pitch the third. So there clearly isn't an idea as to who's closing right now. It's kind of just all over the place for David Ross. But the offense in this game so far, Ian Happ, RBI single in the first inning. And in the second frame, Nico Horner, sorry, the third inning, Horner doubled, knocked in two more. It's been good so far. Hoping they can hang on, you know, a 5-0 lead at one point. The pitching has just been really, has been the Achilles heel for the Cubs as of late. This hasn't been one of their better weeks in the second half, but it's going to happen with a team like this. And we kind of talked about it last week. There's, We just hope there's a vision set in place when the offseason comes ringing around. Let's do our standings update, our weekly standings check. Not a whole lot has changed in the division standpoint. The Cardinals still in first place. They are 20 games over 500, and they have a five and a half game lead on the second place Brewers. Over in the East, the Mets are 82 and 48 with a three game lead over the second place Braves. Out in the NOS, Dodgers have reached 90 wins, the first team in Major League Baseball to do so. They are 90 and 38 with a 19 game lead over the second place Padres. The AL divisions: New York, the Yankees. They're a win away from 80 wins, 79 and 51, seven games up on the second place Tampa Bay Rays. In the AL Central, Cleveland, 68-59. They're a game and a half up on the Twins. All of a sudden, the Twins have won five straight, and they are creeping right back into things in terms of playoff contention. And lastly, in the AL West, Houston at 84-47, still holding a 12-strong game lead over the second-place Mariners. Over the wildcard picture, Atlanta, seven up of that first slot, so they have lost their last three, which has kind of dropped their games ahead value just a tad. San Diego, Playing a lot better baseball as of late. They are tied now for sec- the second wildcard spot with Philadelphia. 72-58 and 58 are the Phillies. 73-59 are the Padres. Phillies losers of their last three. Padres winner of their last three. And currently the team on the outside looking in is the Milwaukee Brewers at 2.5. Like I mentioned, this is a four-team race. As the next team closest is 10 out. That would be the Diamondbacks. I still think this the three is gonna gonna hold. It's just a matter of who's gonna be the number five and who's gonna be the number six seed between Philadelphia and San Diego. I'm not gonna discount Milwaukee. I know they do have a, a solid stretch of games coming up that could definitely chip into their deficits, but I still think at the end of the day, the Phillies and Padres are just more well rounded, and I think Milwaukee will just miss out in that respect. Now we're looking over at the AL wildcard. Tampa still holds that number one AL wildcard spot. They're a game up. In the second spot is Seattle, half a game up, and the last spot goes to Toronto, currently 12 games above 500. They have a three-game threshold on that last wildcard spot above both Baltimore and Minnesota, both three games out. And the White Sox have slid to seven and a half out of the wildcard race. Tony LaRussa from the Sox, now that we're on the topic, he is undergoing some heart issues right now. Um, hope he does better. Thoughts and prayers out to to Tony LaRusso, but he is going to be out of managing, managing, managing. I just can't speak today. 
He's out as skipper for the Sox for a decent period of time. They said indefinitely. I don't think he comes back this season. I honestly am going to say this. I think he's done. This is the Sox are going to use this as a, oh his health issues. They're just not going to they're not going to renew his contract. They're not going to bring him back. It just makes sense for both parties at this point. The Sox continue to slide more and more out of both the division and the wild card race. As they are also in terms of the AL Central, they are six games out. Currently three games under five hundred. They're two and ten in their last two and. T- Two and eight in their last ten, currently on a five-game losing streak. It's not looking too good on the south side of Chicago. I think everything holds to form still. We at the around this time last week, last Thursday show, different type of same type of order. You know, the games above have changed in the wild card, but it's been about the same. I think these all these teams. This is the postseason. I mean, I know Minnesota's only a game and a half out of Cleveland. I think at this point, that's the only thing that we don't know about. Who's going to win the AL Central? Because all of a sudden, Minnesota's making this a race. I, part of me still has the Guardians holding on, but I wouldn't be shocked with the Twins at this point. And I only think one AL Central team's getting in. So whoever wins the division gets the three seed, and they're in, and whoever doesn't, well, they're out. They're not a wildcard team. I think what the AL East has going on with their two wildcard teams, Tampa Bay and Toronto, I think those teams are strong enough to hold on. Three-game lead is pretty comfortable this time of year, as long as they don't let their foot off the pedal too much. And I like Seattle in one of those three spots as well. So it is basically, if the Twins or Guardians want to get in, they have to win the division. That's the only way possible. Other news in MLB, Major League Baseball. Jesus Aguilar, DFA'd by the Marlins, but since then he has been picked up by the Orioles. He's been added to their taxi squad. And tomorrow, September 1st, the rosters expand, so I'm assuming he will be added to the O's down the stretch run to try and see if they can do the impossible, enter that wild card spot and enter the playoffs. Orioles keep having fun with it, man. I'm all for it. Albert Pujols, this was Monday night, hit his 694th career home run. He's now too shy of tying A-Rod for fourth on the all-time MLB home run leaderboard, and he's six away from hitting 700 in his entire career. Obviously, we mentioned the three, Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, that he would join on the all-time list. I think he can do it, man. I know it's so September's tomorrow. He's got about, he's got all of September and a month in October. Six homers and and a week and a month and some change. It's totally possible if he, like I said, I've said this before. If he has another multi home run game at some point in the month of September, he's gonna do it. At the very least, I think he's gonna move into all to fourth of all time. But at this point, he's so close. He needs to hit 700, and I think it's gonna come down to the wire. But I definitely think he'll get it done. Aaron Judge, he actually hit 51, I believe, last night, but he is he has reached the 50 home run mark. He keeps doing his thing, man, making his case for the AL MVP. I think he's got it wrapped up. Some people are still trying to float Otani in there. I'm firm on Aaron Judge. I have him winning the American League MVP. And him hitting 50 homers only further cements his case. Lastly, Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll, two of baseball's top prospects, have been called up. Carroll made his debut on Monday. I believe he picked up a knock. And Gunnar Henderson made his debut tonight. He actually hit his first career home run just about an hour ago. Very exciting. I love seeing these young guys come up and make impacts right away. The game of baseball is always better when all of these top prospects finally reach their mark and are already making impacts. So congrats to both of those guys. That was baseball for this week. To the NFL we go. The Bears are the only team in the NFC to finish 3-0 in the preseason as they took down the Cleveland Browns on Saturday. Justin Fields was outstanding. 14-16, 156 yards, three touchdowns, no sophomore slump for our guy. 
I'm telling you, I have all the confidence in the world in Justin Fields. You see what happens when he gets more time in the pocket, people. I'm telling you, give this man an extra couple seconds, he makes magic happen. I He is a playmaker, he's got the moxie, he's got the swagger. This is the quarterback we've been dying for. Seriously, Justin Fields, this is his team, this is going to be his city. I know we're not going to be that good of a team this year, and he does not have many weapons around him. He's going to find a way to make plays. All I'm asking the city of Chicago, and honestly the NFL in general, all fans, all analysts, don't give up on this guy. His numbers might not look as great as they could be just due to lack of talent. I hope the Bears front office does not give up on him, even if we have a high draft pick. I'm serious. We have so much cap space this offseason. Go get playmakers. If we have a high draft pick, we can go get Jackson Smith and Jigba, Kayshawn Boot, Jordan Addison as wide receivers, or we can go get Will Anderson to be a big-time playmaker on the defense. Do not draft another quarterback. Do not go sign another quarterback. This is the guy. Give him more than two years. He needs three or four years. That's how many we gave Mitch. That's how many Fields deserves. Until he has a team around him where it's like, okay, we should at least be somewhat decent, and he doesn't perform, that's when you try to make a change. You do not try to make a change after this season. He's our guy. He is going to play well this year with having nothing around him. And once he does, the front office is going to go, wow, we have a star on our hands here. We need to do something. We need to go out and sign receivers, draft receivers, draft playmakers, go get another big-time defender, whatever they got to do. Spend that money, capitalize on those good draft picks because we're going to have a good spot in the draft in the first round. I love this draft class. Outside of the quarterbacks, obviously, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, I just mentioned a few of the guys. You got Will Anderson. You got the three big receivers. You know, you got JSN, Jordan Addison, Kayshawn Boot, B. John Robinson. I know we're not drafting a running back, but it just shows the pure college talent that's in this draft. And we're going to have guys from college football emerge out of the nowhere, out of the shadows that are going to be big-time first-round draft picks that are playmakers, big guys on the line. This is going to be an amazing draft class. I'm so happy we have a first-round pick. We're going to capitalize. I got a strong feeling about it. And today's in this game from Justin Fields, Really emphasize that for me. Dante Pettis caught a touchdown. Cole Komet caught a touchdown. Ryan Griffin, the backup tight end, he caught a touchdown. We'll go over the roster here in just a minute. It was a great game all, always around. I'm not going to lie. I stopped watching after the starters were done. I had planned Saturday night, and I know the, 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 the backups almost coughed it away. We were up uh, 21-6 at half, and then obviously two touchdowns scored by the Browns in garbage time in the fourth. I only was there to watch the starters, and then I went and did my own thing. But I was just still so impressed by Justin Fields. I don't care who they were going against. He was given time, and he was able to make the throws and make the plays necessary. I actually like being able to sit back and watch Justin in the pocket. I hate that he has to half the time or all the time last year, and even in the beginning of the preseason, a lot of the plays he made, he had to do on the run. He's obviously a great mobile quarterback, and he can make plays with his legs. But every once in a while, he's got a strong arm, and he can be accurate too. Just give him a few seconds to sit in the pocket and make a throw. Seriously. He can do it all. And I'm so confident in that. I know there's time. He's going to have hiccups this year. I, I don't want people to come back. Oh, you said on on the August 31st show he's going to be the guy. He is. Trust me on that. And I know he's going to have bad games this year. I know that's going to happen. He's, he's going to have games where he doesn't play well. And the fan base is going to be coming for his head. And I really hope they don't. I won't. I will not lose faith in this guy. I never really lost faith in Mitch Trubisky. It was never a quarterback's issue. Matt Nagy was the problem. So for all the people out there saying, oh, Bustin Fields, you know, that's his nickname, all that, all this. Last year didn't count. Throw last year away. Matt Nagy is an absolute clown, and you just can't count any of that. This is really his first year. I'm kind of mad he played as much as he did last year. Because 
his development was definitely stunted. He wasn't able to do much as a player. He was just getting hit all the time. He was getting crushed in the pocket. He got sacked nine times in his first NFL start. What did that do for him? That did nothing. This is go time, and I'm super excited. September 11th, a couple weeks from now, a week and a half, a week from Sunday, the opener against San Fran. I don't expect to win the game, but I'm just looking forward to see what all these guys can do. Super excited for that. But shout shout out everyone. Shout out the Bears 3-0 in the preseason. Real quick, want to definitely uh, shed some light on this very serious incident a couple days ago. The the Brian Robinson uh, was caught in an attempted robbery, was shot twice, I believe, in the leg. Super scary. Happy he's okay. I've already seen that he's back at the commander's facility, which is awesome. I know it was his duty to bring the uh, in the running back room to, to bring the vets snacks, and he brought him a a, a a case of Oreos. So that was it, it's. I give that is that guy is so strong. Give him all the credit in the world. He's already. I mean, obviously he's on crutches and stuff, but he's already back in the facilities, hanging out with his teammates. That's just so awesome. Happy he's okay. Very scary though. So. Prayers for Brian Robinson. Hope he continues to get healthier, get better from this. I know we're probably not going to see him for a very long time, but just happy he's okay in all seriousness because that was a very scary incident. We'll look at the Bears' final 53-man roster as of 3 o'clock today. I know this is probably a little shifted now because Alex Leatherwood, 2021 first-round pick of the Raiders, former stud interior offensive lineman at the University of Alabama. I think he kind of played all over the line. The Bears claimed him today. Super excited about that. I loved Alex Leatherwood in college. I'm not, I normally don't like go all in on oh, scouting unless it's a uh, top 10 draft pick on the O-line. I really liked watching Alex Leatherwood. I would watch Bama games his last year there, and I'd notice, like, Look at that hole that he created on, on that run player. The amount of time he would just shove dudes to the ground. He's a big physical guy. I'm a fan of Alex Leatherwood, and I'm honestly super, super pumped for him to be in Chicago. That being said, I believe this is from yesterday, so if I know any guys have been cut, I'll, I'll make adjustments on the fly. Obviously, the quarterback room is just Justin Fields and Trevor Simeon. That's all there needs to be. They cut Nathan Peterman. Pretty sure he's going to be brought back on the practice squad. Kind of already given my piece about Fields, and I do like Trevor Simeon as a backup here. Three running backs, David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, and Trustin Ebner. Uh, Montgomery's been the guy for a very long time, or at least ever since he has been a bear. I'm all in, honestly, for extending Montgomery. I love the way he runs. We have not had a back like Montgomery since Matt Forte, or at least in my memory. I like the way he runs. I'm interested in extension. I know running backs are disposable, but if it's for the right price tag, I'm all in on bringing, on keeping David Montgomery around for the long run. We have all the money, and if he has a big-time year this year, I would definitely be interested in that. Love Clear Herbert as a backup. And then the versatility that rookie Tristan Ebner brings. He can obviously work on special teams, bring back kicks and punts. He's good out of the backfield in terms of receiving. And he's just a good overall pound-for-pound pound pure runner. We have two fullbacks on the squad this year. Kari Blossom game and Jake Tongs. So that's cool. I like Blossom game. He was very good in terms of... We don't really see a lot of fullbacks. Bears haven't rostered a fullback since 2018. But Blossom game is known as one of the better ones in the league. He's a little bit more overlooked, but... I like what he can do. I like having the idea of a fullback, so let alone two is awesome. But I know Tongs, he's a versatility. He could play tight end as well. He made the squad over James O'Shaughnessy. I apologize last week that I called him O'Shaughnessy. That's just because that's what I heard other people calling him. I know he's O'Shaughnessy. 
but Tong's making the roster for versatility over him. Puts the Bears at two tight ends. I know OJ Howard was cut by the Bills, so there are still currently a few tight ends looming in the waiver wire. I don't know if the Bears will go out and get a guy. Tong's might be on the hot seat then if they're looking at a third tight end, but if not, and if this holds to form, he will be the third tight end, and you can definitely, he'll, he'll be on special teams. He'll be around for sure. Wide receiver, there are seven. Darnell Mooney, Byron Pringle, Valus Jones Jr., Equiminius St. Brown, Nikhil Harry, Tajay Sharp, and Dante Pettis. I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the show last week, if I gave out my list. This was pretty much what I expected. Uh, it was it was known it was Mooney, Pringle, Jones, Brown, and Harry. It was basically who were the last two guys. I had it as Sharp and Pettis, and that's what we have here. Tight ends, I mentioned Cole Komet and Ryan Griffin. Griffin, the former New York Jet. I like him out as, as, a, as a physical guy working behind Komet, and this is Cole Komet's make-or-break year. This is the year for him. He either, this is this is everything. His career, not his not career is not riding on this year, but this is his time to break out. It's this year. He has He's going to be a focal point in the offense outside of Mooney. There's not many other targets for Fields to throw the ball to, so if we're looking for a time for Cole Komet to, to start showing out, it's definitely this season. The offensive line, pretty sure we have all, the, all of these guys still obviously adding Alex Leatherwood to this mix. Uh, rookies Braxton Jones, Jatire Carter, totally said that wrong, and Zachary Thomas. Veteran Riley Reef, who we picked up not too long ago, and all got, uh, and Lucas Patrick, interior offensive lineman from Green Bay, who was signed at the beginning of the offseason. And then the returners, Cody Whitehair, Tevin Jenkins, Larry Borum, and Sam Mustafer. Is This is not a great O-line group, but adding Leatherwood definitely gives me a little more confidence. I like Braxton Jones. He's our left tackle. It's a little scary. You know, oh, fifth-round rookie is, is your left tackle. It, you see it one of two ways. One, there is nothing. There, He might be the best option. It might not be due to skill. Or two, he could have really turned some heads and be like, wow, this guy might be a legitimate left tackle in this league. We're going to find out really early because it'll, that'll, it'll show in, in week one how many times Justin Fields is on his back whether the ball is still in his hands or not. So the starting O-line, I anticipate we'll see Jones at left tackle. I mean, this is without putting Leatherwood in mind. Jones at left tackle, the rookie, uh, White Hair at left guard, Lucas Patrick's at center as long as he's healthy, and then the right side of the line is all second-year guys in Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum. Now, with Leatherwood being added, I don't know where he'll go. I know he's versatile. He can he can work as a tackle. He played right tackle at Alabama, but I know he's got the body type of an inside, interior offensive lineman. I don't know what their plan would be if he'd be like the sixth guy. He'd be the uh, top O lineman on the bench if they work him in. I there really hasn't. He just signed today, so or he just was claimed today. So I don't know what the plan would be. If I had to take a guess, I don't know if he's ever worked out at left tackle. Maybe they try moving Jenkins back on the outside at left tackle and they slot Leatherwood in at right guard. I'm not too sure. We'll obviously look into that more in the next show if there's anything that comes out about it. I can look up the Bears depth chart on ESPN right now. But it's just so new. It's a huge ad. I, I Like I said, was a huge fan. So right now, yeah, right now they have Leatherwood working as the backup right guard. So the current offensive line is exactly what I just mentioned. Oh, I forgot Riley Reef. Never mind. So it'll be Braxton Jones at left tackle. Cody White here at left guard. Lucas Patrick at center. Tevin Jenkins at right guard. And I forgot the veteran Riley Reef who will be at right tackle. And obviously, then there's Larry Borum, who can play both tackle spots as a backup. And Leatherwood, who's an interior guy. Sam Mustafer. There's depth here. Just don't know what we're looking at in terms of starting. 
There are a couple guys on the IR as well. Tajay Sharp, who made the team, is on the IR, as is David Moore. So the Bears picked up tight end Trevin Wesco today to be the number three tight end on the roster. And that's where we stand as of right now. That was receivers in line. Defense. Let's talk the defense now. On the defensive line, we have Robert Quinn, Travis Gibson, Justin Jones, Al Muhammad, Angelo Blackson, Kyrus Tonga, who did get cut today because they added a new guy on the front line from Minnesota, Dominique Robinson and Mike Pennell Jr. I like this D-line. I really do. And I know it's obviously we lost we lost Robert Quinn. I know we have Robert Quinn. We lost Khalil Mack. But I don't I really don't tend to mind here. So the Bears claimed six players off waivers today. It was most by any team. They claimed Alex Leatherwood, Armin Watts, who was projected to start in Minnesota. So they cut Tonga to bring in Watts. I think Watts is gonna start for us, which is great. They brought in tight end Trevin Wesco, defensive back Josh Blackwell, defensive end, uh, Kingsley Jonathan, and linebacker Sterling Weatherford. So it's the most by any team that we claim. So Tonga, take out Tonga, put in uh the aforementioned Armin Watts. I'm, I'm good with this. Uh, who else do we have on here? Dominique Robinson is the rookie out of Miami, Ohio. He's very raw talent on the edge as an edge rusher. I liked that pick because we're picking for upside. He could be very, very good, and I'm all for that. We know Travis Gibson's going to slide into Khalil Mack's spot, so it'll be Quinn and Gibson as the starting edge rushers. Picked up Justin Jones as a D lineman from the Chargers. Definitely a fan of that. And now I'm assuming that Watts will slide in next to Jones. So our front four will be Quinn, Gibson, Jones, and the new added Watts. See if they have it on the depth chart. I don't think it's updated either. It might be. So right now it's Muhammad at left defensive end. Blackson, Jones, Quinn. Sterling Weatherford is starting at one of the linebacker spots. We'll talk about that later. But that's what we're sitting right now. Let's go linebacker. There were six linebackers that made this team. Roquan Smith, Nick Morrow, Matt Adams, Joe Thomas, Jack Sanborn, and Caleb Johnson. I love it. I'm super pumped that Jack Sanborn is on this team. I've been vouching for him all preseason. The undrafted linebacker out of Wisconsin. Happy he's going to get himself a shot. Now it looks as if the addition of Weatherford means that Caleb Johnson is out, which obviously makes sense. He kind of seemed like the last linebacker to make the squad. But I like this linebacker group to go with Roquan. I like Nick Morrow coming over from the Raiders. They'll line up nicely next to each other. Matt Adams is a versatile linebacker that can kind of fill in many different spots. And Jack Sanborn, as I mentioned, the undrafted guy out of Wisconsin. Huge fan of him. Our corners, Jalen Johnson, Kyler Gordon, Kendall Vildor, Duke Shelley, who has since been cut. Lamar Jackson, not the Lamar Jackson you're thinking of, and Jalen Jones. So as I mentioned, linebacker was signed today, or uh, Josh Blackwell, the corner, was signed today, and Duke Shelley was released in a corresponding move. Currently in ESPN, they have the two slotted, the two corners starting as Jalen Johnson and the first draft pick that the Bears had in the spring, the second round pick at pick 39, Kyler Gordon. I like the addition of Gordon. He was one of the better corners in that second tier in this past draft class needed to improve on the other side of Jalen Johnson, Kendall Vildor while he is here as a depth piece and probably will work more on special teams now that he's not starting and he'll work in the nickel spot a little bit when it's needed. Gordon's that stability on the outside. I know there's going to be learning curves with him. It's the same thing with any of these rookie defenders or even the guys on the O-line like Braxton Jones. I'm for it though. 
Jalen Johnson, second-round corner a couple years ago, he's been fantastic. He's a CB1 in this league. And I'm hoping with this pick of of Gordon, if he develops correctly, we'll have two cornerback ones on this defense in the long run. And then last but certainly not least, our safeties, there are five. It's Eddie Jackson, Jaquan Brisker, DeAndre Houston-Carson, Dane Cruikshank, and Elijah Hicks. So obviously Jackson and Brisker, as long as Brisker is healthy, those will be the starting safeties out the shoot. Houston Carson's another guy, super versatile, a veteran. He's worked in on special teams, very valuable to this team. Cruikshank came over from the Titans, same thing. He's got that versatility. He's a great special teamer. And Elijah Hicks turned a lot of heads in camp. So it's a good safety room. I'm, I'm honestly okay with it. For the state of this team, I'm not disappointed at all. And lastly, the specialists are Cairo Santos returning as kicker. Patrick Scales is back at the long snap position. And a new rookie punter, Trenton Gill from NC State. Special teams were pretty fine last year. I didn't have an issue with it. And Gill looks like he's got an absolute boot. I don't have a problem with it at all. So that is kind of the current lowdown. Obviously had to make some adjustments on the fly with the signings of uh, Leatherwood and others. If anything, getting guys like Watts will strengthen up that defense. Couple other notes out of the NFL. Jalen Rager was traded today from the Eagles to the Vikings in exchange for a, I believe it was a 2023 fourth round pick and a 2024 seventh round pick. So Rager, who went one spot ahead of Jefferson, now they are both on the same team. Pretty interesting there. Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo has agreed to a new deal to stay in San Francisco as a backup. He'll be making six and a half million dollars base salary and can earn up to 16 million in incentives. This is the best for both parties. No one was willing to pay $26 million to have Jimmy G as their starter, and the Niners weren't going to pay that much to have him as the backup. Jimmy liked San Francisco. There still could be opportunity for him there if Trey Lance doesn't ball out immediately. They both win. He still makes a pretty good amount of money. He's by far the highest-paid backup quarterback in this league. It's a win for both parties. Happy for both the Niners and Jimmy Garoppolo. Two more. Kellen Mann was cut by the Vikings a couple days ago. Former third-round pick. Was very hyped in the draft process. Had a very good career at Texas A&M. Now finds himself on the waiver wire, I believe, since he has been snagged by the Cleveland Browns. Lastly, yesterday, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the defensive back from the Saints, was dealt to Philadelphia for some draft picks. Saints were, his contract was up at the end of the season. New Orleans was not willing to shell out the money. It looks like now he is Philadelphia's problem in terms of a financial agreement. That was our NFL talk for the week. It's college football time. Week zero review. Uh, we're just going to go over a few games. Obviously, Northwestern, Nebraska. I also want to make an apology. Florida State beat. It's Duquesne. Another terrible pronunciation on my end last week. We're still we're learning around here. I will say, I did start a thing for a weekly pick em here. Make five picks a week. I was 3-2 and two on my picks this past week. We'll run through those. Those are the games I'll actually throw into a review for this show. Northwestern Nebraska, the Wildcats take down the Cornhuskers on foreign soil, 31-28. Scott Frost, man, I he is not the guy for the job. I know I kind of talked good about him last week. I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I know he's had some rough luck here in Lincoln. They weren't going to fire him on foreign soil, but I'd, I'd be shocked if he makes it through the entire season as the head coach of Nebraska. They found a way to blow an 11-point lead that onside kick is probably the dumbest thing he could have possibly done. And there are simply no playmakers around Casey Thompson. He went 25-42, 355 yards and a tutty. I think he threw like two or three interceptions, though. And all those, he threw two picks. And both of them were off his receiver's hands. He's not surrounded by talent that can actually make plays. They have themselves a pretty solid quarterback with Casey Thompson. Just not getting the job done. 
And also, their line, their defensive line, let Evan Hall, who's a very good running back, he was a 1,000-yard rusher for the Wildcats last year, run all over them. He had 22 carries for 119 yards and a touchdown. Northwestern, they were just able to out-muscle at the end of the day. If they, I always say Northwestern has a chance in a lot of games they play in because of their coaching. Pat Fitzgerald is an incredible head coach, and I will take that to my grave. He is fantastic at what he does. I think he's very much overqualified to coach at Northwestern. They once they were they were pretty solid a couple years ago when Justin Fields was at Ohio State. They made a Big Ten championship game. Nonetheless, big win for the Wildcats. Very tough loss for Nebraska. It'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. So I actually got that pick wrong. I had Nebraska minus 11, so I started out 0-1 in the week. Hit a hot streak with two after this. I had... There we go. I had Illinois-Wyoming. I had Illinois minus 14. They crushed Wyoming. 38-6. to I didn't realize Wyoming barely returned any players. Their team is practically brand new. And Illinois took advantage. They have Chase Brown, who is the most underrated running back in the Big Ten. He had 19 carries for 151 yards and two touchdowns. Tommy DeVito looked good in his Illini debut. 27 of 37 in the air for 194 yards and two touchdown passes. They're not going to wow you this year, but Illinois is not going to be too bad. I think I may have them finishing last, but I may have to switch that on that side of the, the bracket for the mega preview coming up shortly. But they looked very good in Week 0, taking down Wyoming. Next game I had... It was UConn and Utah State. I had UConn plus 26.5. The Huskies were up 14-0 after the first quarter. And then Utah State came in, dropped 24 in the second, and kind of coasted the rest of the way. 31-20 victory for Utah State. But still, nonetheless, it was a pick that hit for myself. Charlotte, FAU. Kind of got fun with this one. I said under 59 points. I knew both offenses. I knew Florida Atlantic had a good offense, but I wasn't really trustworthy of Charlotte's. Florida Atlantic... Completely blew them out, 43-13. Still went under the total of 59. Lastly, Vanderbilt and Hawaii was the final game. I just am going to go on the record. I talked about this. If you listen to last week's show, the worst ever take, I think, on the Yacht Show history. You can replay it if you need to. I said Hawaii, so they were, Vanderbilt was favored by 9.5 points. I said not only is Hawaii going to cover the plus 9.5, they're going to win this game. Boy, was I wrong. Not even close. Vanderbilt goes in, they drop 63 points. I don't think Vanderbilt's ever scored that many points in a game. 63-10, to 10, including 35. They scored five touchdowns in the third quarter. This was all Mike Wright's doing, their quarterback. He, he had 13 carries on the ground for 163 yards and two rushing touchdowns. That's not even including what this guy did in the air. He threw for 146 yards and two touchdowns. He did it all on offense for this team. Vanderbilt's not going to be a good team this year. We mentioned that. This officially cemented they're not going to be the worst Power 5 team. Colorado, I talked about them last week. They're going to be the worst Power 5 team this year. Not even close. So in the end, I had Hawaii plus 9.5. That obviously didn't work. 3-2 and two on the week. I will be cementing my picks into the spreadsheet, and we'll be talking about them in next week's show. Let's review. Let's preview week one before we get to the mega preview. We'll start with the, let's go top 25. We're going to do the top 25 matchups, and then we'll dive into some Big Ten. Starting tomorrow, number 12 Oklahoma State hosts Central Michigan at home. They're given 21.5 points as a favorite. They're bringing back Spencer Sanders. A lot of that Oklahoma State team is returning. I liked what they had last year. Obviously able to come back and win a big New Year's Six Bowl game against Notre Dame. Obviously they're going to take care of business down there in Stillwater. It is the backyard brawl. The rivalry returns. West Virginia going to number 17 Pittsburgh at Acrisure Stadium in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pitt's favored by a touchdown. I like Keaton Slovis. 
and I know he was pretty much outside of them losing Jordan Addison. This team pretty much stayed the same. They lost obviously Jordan Addison to a tran- to the transfer portal, the USC, and Kenny Pickett went to the draft. I like what Keaton Slovis has to bring. I think Pittsburgh's gonna have an absolutely amazing offense offensive showing tomorrow. JT Daniels is the quarterback now for West Virginia, so it could be a shootout. But I like Slovis and Pitt at the end of the day. Finally, VMI is taking on number 22 ranked Wake Forest. There is no Sam Hartman. I don't think that matters. I'm still taking Wake Forest in this one. Friday, there is only one top 25 team taking the field on Friday, and it is my Michigan State Spartans hosting Western Michigan in the woodshed. The Spartans are favored by 22. Ah, we're going to crush them. I'm pumped for this one, excited. They've already announced the captains for week one. The offensive captain is obviously the junior quarterback, Peyton Thorne. Defensive safety, the senior, will be Xavier, Xavier Henderson as the defensive captain, and then our special team captain is Bryce Beringer. I'm pumped. Let's do this thing. Go green. Going to start the season off strong tomorrow night. Or Friday night. I keep thinking today's Thursday. It's like the sixth time I thought today was Thursday. Nonetheless, Saturday, Sam Houston going to number six Texas A&M at College Station. Haynes King won the quarterback job for the Aggies. That was a tough one. Max Johnson is going to be the best backup quarterback in the country this year. I have Texas A&M big, obviously. Who doesn't? Michigan, they're hosting Colorado State at 11. And... At Ann Arbor in the big house, they're favored by 30 and a half. Interesting coming out of camp for Har- Coach Harbaugh. He's decided in their quarterback controversy that he is having Cade McNamara start week one, so Saturday against Colorado State, and then J.J. McCarthy will start at the home game in week two against Hawaii, and from there they will determine their starting quarterback. Kind of an interesting way of looking at things. Number 13, North Carolina State travels to East Carolina in Greenville. They are favored by 11.5. I love this North Carolina State team. You're going to find out in the preview. I'm a huge fan. I have them crushing. I don't care that it's on the road and it's a tough place to play. Give me, give me that. I'm taking North Carolina State all day. This is the second biggest matchup of the entire weekend. Number 3, Georgia is hosting number 11, Oregon, at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Georgia is favored by 17.5, or by 17 as the defending champs. They did lose a lot of that defense to the draft, a lot of players in general. I'm still in on Georgia. I think they're going to take care of business. This is a whole new Oregon program. Dan Lanning, Bo Nix is now their quarterback. Dan Lanning is the head coach. Bo Nix at quarterback. I like Georgia big. UTEP is going to Oklahoma and Norman. This will be the first game of the Brent Venables era down in Norman, Oklahoma. And Dylan Gabriel, his first game as the quarterback for the Sooners. I don't think they're going to miss a beat. Obviously, without being said for most of these, it's week one. They're all going to take care of business. Bethune-Cookman is going to number 16 Miami in Miami Gardens. Once again, this will start the Mario Cristobal era. Tyler Van Dyke is due for a big season under center for the Hurricanes. Without saying, once again, Miami is going to win big. We have another ranked matchup. Cincinnati, number 23, one of the four college football playoff teams last year, is going to Fayetteville to take on Arkansas. A program with a lot of juice and a lot of hype coming into the year. The Razorbacks are favored by six and a half. I think they're going to do it. I think Cincinnati will be unranked by week three. They were just given a generous ranking due to last season. They lost practically their entire team. I'm all in on the Razorbacks in this one. Number 24, Houston is traveling to San Antonio to take on UTSA. The Roadrunners, one of the darlings of last year's college football season. The Cougs are favored by four. This is a tough one. I, I, I'm honestly, I don't know who I'm going to go with here. I might take the upset in UTSA. It's definitely a conv- it's a compelling pick. They were once again they were they got into the top twenty five last year as I mentioned one of the darlings of college football. That should be an interesting one to keep your eyes on down in San Antonio. Troy is going to number twenty one Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin's got a whole new group of weapons. 
on the offensive end. Jackson Dart is his quarterback. Zach Evans coming in as the transfer running back out of TCU. Expect Ole Miss big in this one. They're favored by three touchdowns. Number 25, BYU traveling to Tampa to take on South Florida. They're favored by 12. It's an underrated BYU program this year with a lot of big-time matchups on their slate. Definitely expect them, if they can take care of those matchups, move up. They're going to move up, and they could be a top-10 team if, if, if those ranked matchups go their way. USC under the Lincoln Riley, the Lincoln Riley era is beginning. They're at number 14. They're taking on Rice at the Coliseum. They're favored by 32 and a half. I don't know if they'll cover that just because I'm sure the starters will be out of the game pretty early. But it'll be interesting to see Caleb Williams, Travis Dye, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, Brendan Rice, all those guys in Trojan uniforms. Number seven, Utah is traveling to the swamp to take on the Florida Gators in Gainesville. It'll be Billy Napier's first game as the head coach of the Gators. It's Anthony Richardson's team now. Utah's favored by three. I still think they're going to crush them. I like what Kyle Winningham has cooking up there in Salt Lake City. I like the Utes. Albany going to Baylor. Dave Aranda. It was a big, big season last year for Baylor, but it's it's a totally different squad now. There is no line out for it. Obviously, the, the Bears are still going to take care of business. Wisconsin. 18th-ranked Badgers are hosting the Illinois State Redbirds at Camp Randall. That'll be a nice, easy warm-up for Braylon and Allen and company. Wisconsin big. Number 20, Kentucky, hosting Miami of Ohio. They're favored by 16. Miami of Ohio is not a bad MAC team. And like I mentioned in last week's show, I don't know if I've mentioned it. If not, I'm mentioning it now. I'm not super huge on Kentucky this year. I think it's going to be hard for them to repeat what they did last year. They're very much like Michigan State in that aspect. Number one, Alabama. They're hosting Utah State. Obviously, Utah State, an 11-point victory over UConn last week. Pama's favored by 41.5. That's just way too big of a number. I don't even know if that's possible to achieve because the starters will be long gone before that number is even touched. And lastly, the biggest game of week one in Columbus, Ohio, 6.30 on ABC. The number two Ohio State Buckeyes are hosting the number five Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They're favored by 17. I'm going to lean toward the way of OSU in terms of that line. I think they're going to win the game straight up. The Marcus Freeman era will be a tough, that'll be a tough first game in Marcus Freeman's coaching, head coaching career for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Your top 25, other Big Ten, because, you know, geographically, obviously going to follow more Big Ten this week. Tomorrow night, Penn State Purdue in West Lafayette. Penn State's favored by three. Should be a fun little Thursday night in conference matchup to start Big Ten season off strong. And also tomorrow night, Minnesota is hosting New Mexico State, who lost to Nevada in Week 0. We have to talk about Michigan State on Friday. Another Big Ten matchup. 1-0 Illinois. They're going on the road. They're going into Bloomington to take on Indiana. Jack Tuttle's currently lined up to be the starting quarterback for the Hoosiers. I kind of like Illinois in this one. I would not be shocked if Illinois pulls off a great road victory. I'm all in. I love Chase Brown as their running back. As I mentioned, one of the more underrated backs in the Big Ten. The IU should definitely not take the Illini lightly. Talked about Michigan hosting Colorado State. Iowa is hosting South Dakota State in Kinnick Stadium this weekend. Maryland's hosting Buffalo. Rutgers is going to Boston College. It's a tough road matchup for the Ruck for uh, the Scarlet Knights to start their season. Nebraska, after a tough loss in Ireland, they're hosting North Dakota at home. Talked about Wisconsin, Illinois State. We talked about Ohio State and Notre Dame. I think it's about that time. Let's dive into our mega preview, give out my conference standings for this year, kind of talk a little bit about, mainly. we're going to mainly, I will say, the top of the standings are definitely going to get more of the love. Nonetheless, let's do this. My Big Ten West, this is just power rankings, straight up. This is the Big Ten West. At number seven, 
this was tough. And this was made, this was obviously made before week zero. But talked a lot about him, but I do have Illinois finishing at the bottom of the Big Ten West. It's just a tough Big Ten schedule for Illinois. Brett Bielema is only his second season. They were 5-7 and seven last year. So the offense MVP, we talked about Chase Brown, Tommy DeVito. I think 5-6 through six is interchangeable. Just when I made this way back when, I had Illinois finishing 7th. Number 6, Northwestern, picking up that big win in Dublin last week. Led by Pat Fitzgerald. They could also very well finish last. I, like I said, 5-6, through six, you can swap them all in and out. Number 5, Nebraska. Have them above these two teams. However, at the moment, in my head, based on recency bias, Northwestern obviously beat them, and I still think Illinois is running a stronger unit at the moment. This is where things get fun. I've seen a lot of people have this team win this side of the Big Ten. I wouldn't be shocked, but this is just purely off what I think of the teams. Number four is Minnesota. They were 9-4 last year, 6-3 and three in conference. They have Mohamed Ibrahim, big-time running back, and their quarterback's Tanner Morgan. I'm iffy on P.J. Fleck. I really don't know how to feel. Some people love him. Some people don't. I'm kind of in the middle. So they're my number four team in this side of the, the, the conference. Number three, Iowa. They were 10-4 and four last year, a 10-win team. They have a great tight end in Sam Laporta, one of the best in the country. Jack Campbell is one of the best linebackers in the country. Their quarterback play is questionable, Spencer Petras, and they don't really have any key newcomers. They brought in some decent freshmen, but it's, it's a lot of the same guys from last year. Number two, Purdue, coached by Jeff Brom. They won. They went 9-4 last year. Aiden O'Connell slinging the rock for them. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten outside of C.J. Stroud. I like this Purdue team. I really do. And lastly, number one is Wisconsin. They were 9-4 last year. Braylon Allen is an absolute wagon. I have him as a top five running back in the country. Obviously, their QB play is super questionable with Graham Mertz, but they have an absolute monster. Wisconsin is known for pumping out these backs, and, and they did that with Braylon Allen. The Big Ten East, the other side of the the conference. Uh, in seventh, I have Indiana. Not super high on this team this year. What Tom Allen did a couple years ago for this group was great, but they had a really bad year last year going 0-9 in conference, and I wouldn't be shocked if they don't, outside of this Illinois game, which they could win, I don't know what other conference games they have a shot in this year. Number six, I got Maryland. I do like Tagaviola at quarterback. I really do. They were 7-6 last year, so they were above 500. but other than, than him and um, Raheem Jarrett, I, I just really don't know what else there is in the way of, of excitement over in Maryland. Number five, I have Rutgers. I love Greg Schiano as a college coach and what he's done. Obviously, he doesn't have a whole lot of talent on the roster right now, but I think they can finish above a couple teams in this side of the Big Ten. And number four is Penn State. They obviously are under play tomorrow night. James Franklin's a great coach. They do have Drew Allard, their new freshman quarterback who's not playing. They're riding with Sean Clifford again. They did bring in Mitchell Tinsley as a transfer receiver, so I could see Penn State making some noise this year. Number three, Michigan. Obviously making the playoff last year at 12-2 overall. Talked about their quarterback situation. Blake Corum is their guy as a running back now. They lost to San Haskins. So we'll see what Harbaugh's got in his bag of tricks this year. Number two, my Michigan State Spartans. It's a little bias. I don't care. Mel Tucker has done wonders for this program. Jaden Reed is going to be a Blitnikoff finalist this year. I love them bringing back Xavier Henderson on the defensive side of the ball. Peyton Thorne is going to step up big time this year and have a big year for the Spartans. And they're replacing Kenneth Walker's production in the backfield with two transfer backs, Jarek Broussard from Colorado, who had over 1,500 yards of rushing in two years, and Jalen Berger from Wisconsin. And if we know anything about Wisconsin, is they're good with running back talent. And lastly, it's no debate, the number one team in this conference in general is the Ohio State Buckeyes. 
They're going to make the playoff this year. If not, that's a real problem. C.J. Stroud is a favorite to win the Heisman. J.S.N. is an absolute monster at receiver. And they got a real, real nice defensive unit led by Ronnie Hickman. And that's going to be their big question is can their defense hold up? I think their defense has got a shot to do so this year. Let's go to the Pac-12. The Pac. We'll just go from 12 here. Uh, 12 is Colorado. Kind of talked about it. I, there's just not much upside with this program this year. Number 11 is the Arizona Wildcats, and I think them and the Sun Devils at 10 are very interchangeable. They're bringing in Jaden Delora, the Washington State quarterback transfer, who I'm a huge fan of. The Wildcats will be able to win a couple games this year, no doubt about it. As I mentioned, the Arizona State Sun Devils at 10. Cal Bears are at 9. Stanford at 8. Oregon State is at 7. And then my top six in the conference are the Washington Huskies are at number six. They were a 4-8 squad last year, but they brought in Michael Penix. Don't know what that'll do for them, but they're always known for bringing in some good defensive talent. They obviously had two, they're both their corners went within the first 40 picks in the NFL draft last year. Their defense is going to be huge for them again this season. A team that I've that everyone's very high on is the Washington State Cougars. I have them at number five. My top four in this conference. UCLA's at four. Obviously, having Chip Kelly run the show. They got Zach Charbonnet. It's another name I also have mispronounced on this show. He's uh, he's their overall offensive MVP, and they've brought back Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback. Number three is Oregon. This is the first year under the tutelage of Dan Lanning. They were a 10-4 team last year. They got two notable names on this roster in my eyes. Bo Nix, obviously their transfer quarterback, and they have the best linebacker in the whole country in Noah Sewell. And before you say anything, no, apparently Will Anderson is not a linebacker. He's more of an edge rusher. Number two, the Utah Utes. Kyle Whittingham is an underrated coach. He is so overlooked in this country and what he's done with this team. They went to the Rose Bowl last year. Cam Rising has become an absolute guy. He is the guy to look out for under center for the Utes this year. Have them at number two in the conference. And lastly, the number one team in the Pac-12 will be the USC Trojans. It is Lincoln Riley's time to shine. Out west, they got Caleb Williams. They got Travis Dye. They got Mario Williams, Brandon Rice, Jordan Addison, all the weapons, all the offensive weapons that Caleb Williams could ever dream of. They're all chilling out in the West Coast. So I have the Trojans winning the Pac-12 this year. And we'll talk about the matchups and stuff for the conference championships. SEC West, at number seven, I have the Auburn Tigers. They were 6-7 and seven team last year. This Them naming T.J. Finley as their quarterback has only strengthened my claim here. Tank Bigsby is an absolute dog out of the backfield for them at running back. Should be a good NFL prospect, and it's probably the only reason why this team will be worth watching this year. Number six, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. I love Will Rogers. He is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the country because he's buried away in the SEC. Mike Leach is a very good coach. I have them at six. Number five, the LSU Tigers. This is year one under Brian Kelly. As much as I don't like the guy, he is a top ten, spoiler, top ten coach in the entire country. And while he still hasn't decided between Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer at quarterback, he's got Kayshawn Boot. Uh, it's probably the third wrong pronunciation on the show. Once again, I apologize. Who is a top three wide receiver prospect in the draft this year. Number four, Ole Miss. Even though they're bringing in practically a whole new offense, they're losing Matt Corral, but they're bringing in Jackson Dart, who I'm a huge fan of. Lane Kiffin has won me over as a coach. They were a 10-win team last year. They're going to be number four. Number three, the Arkansas the Arkansas Razorbacks. Yes, I'm buying into the hype a little bit. Sam Pittman's got a good culture going over there. K.J. Jefferson's going to take steps forward this year in this conference. They've brought in Drew Sanders, an Alabama transfer at linebacker, and they've also brought in Oklahoma State receiver Jaden Hasselwood. So they got, they've brought in guys, they've brought in playmakers, and K.J. Jefferson's going to elevate his game to a whole new level this year. Number two on this side of the conference will be the Texas A&M Aggies, coached by Jimbo Fisher, an 8-4 team last year. Devin Atkane, the running back is the guy to watch out for in this offense. They have one of the top 
deep down some backs in the country and Antonio Johnson. They obviously named Haynes King as their starting quarterback. And they have a freshman receiver, Evan Stewart, who is super explosive on the outside. Should definitely make an impact for the passing game for King. And lastly, I feel like this goes on Seb, but the Crimson Tide of Alabama are going to finish number one in the SEC West. Nick Saban can't beat it. They were a 13-2 team last year, losing in the national championship, and they lost the regular season game to Georgia. This is, this is their thing, man. This is Bama. This is what they do. Bryce Young, winner of the Heisman. Will Anderson should be a Heisman candidate this year. They brought in Jermaine Burton, a transfer receiver from Georgia. I like Gibbs, the transfer running back out of Georgia Tech. They just Alabama just keeps reloading. I'm telling you, I like I, Crimson Tide are finishing number one in that side this year. The SEC East on the other side, I have Vanderbilt as I still have them at last, but it was a really good first showing against Hawaii. Mike Wright is going to be that team. Missouri at number six, they got Brady Cook under center this year and big time freshman receiver Luther Burden. That's a name to look out for. South Carolina at five under Shane Beamer. They were a 7-6 team last year. They brought in Spencer Rattler and Austin Stogner. That defense, that'll be the key thing. Will that defense be able to hold up in the SEC? At number four, I have Florida. Once again, I mentioned this is the first year for Billy Napier. Their offensive MVP and quarterback is Anthony Richardson. They brought in a transfer running back in Montrell Johnson Jr. to fill the shoes of NFL rookie Damian Pierce. I'm really going to be interested to see how the Florida Gators do, at least in SEC play this season. Number three, the Kentucky Wildcats. I know I'm going to catch smoke for this, but there I have them finishing third. They were a 10-win team last year. Will Levis is their guy under center. I do like Mark Stoops. I like the coach of Kentucky. I just don't think it's possible to, to repeat what they did last year. Number two, the Tennessee Volunteers, coached by Josh Heupel. They were a 7-win team last year. Hendon Hooker, he's their guy. I'm He's a top-10 quarterback in the country, and I'm looking forward to see how he handles the SEC this year. And Brew McCoy, their big-time incoming transfer, is a major weapon for Hooker. Lastly, the number one team out east is the defending champion Georgia Bulldogs. What names do I need to tell you? we got Brock Bowers, who's the top tight end in the country. Jalen Carter, the top defensive tackle in the nation. Stetson Bennett returning a quarterback. And they even are bringing in a big-time freshman tight end in Oscar Delp. whole lot of weapons for Stetson to throw the ball to. And even though that defense sent a lot of guys to the NFL draft, I still think they're going to be able to reload and be just as good as they were last year. What's next? The Big 12. So at 10, we got the Kansas Jayhawks. 9, the Texas Tech Red Raiders. West Virginia, they play tomorrow against Pitt with new quarterback JT Daniels. They're at 8. TCU's at 7. Matt Campbell's Iowa State Cyclones are going to slot in at number 6. Kansas State, Deuce Vaughn is one of the top running backs in the nation. He's going to keep the Wildcats relevant this year. They're at 5. Baylor, I have them taking a step back this year. They're number 4. In the top 3, we mentioned Oklahoma State. I love what Mike Gundy's got cooking there. And, and just in general, I... Spencer Sanders is a super and just an overall impressive quarterback, a fan of what he does. Mike Gundy's going for his 150th win tomorrow night against Central Michigan. I just the vibes are good for the Cowboys. They're gonna they're gonna use the momentum from last year and, and put themselves in the conversation for the Big Twelve Championship again this year. Number two, the Texas Longhorns. That's right, man. Texas is all the way back. Steve Sarkeesian, Quinn Ewers is starting quarterback. Bajon Robinson's one of, if not the top running backs in the country. Xavier Worthy's an absolute beast on the outside. It's definitely a big target for Ewers. I like that offense. Obviously, the defense will be in question, but they're worthy of being a top three team in this conference. And in the first year of the Brent Venables era, the Oklahoma Sooners are my number one team out of the Big 12. It goes without saying, he's a culture guy. A lot of positive things out of camp from the Sooners. I have them finishing very high in the overall national poll this year. 
the ACC. Let's start with the Coastal. We got Georgia Tech at 7. Not much cooking for them this year. Duke at 6. Virginia Tech at 5. Virginia at 4. It's an explosive offense. Brandon Armstrong is back for more this year. North Carolina at 3. They had an impressive victory against FAMU this past weekend. Drake May looked very, very good. And Josh Downs is one of the top receivers in the country. At number 2 is Pitt. Like I mentioned, they lost every... The only people they lost were Kenny Pickett to the draft and Jordan Addison to the portal. I mean, those are like their top two guys. But other than that, their whole good offense is still there, and they replaced Pickett with a guy who I really like in Keaton Slovis. And number one, winning this side of the bracket, or not the bracket, the the, uh, conference, I have the Miami Hurricanes, as I mentioned, first year for Mario Cristobal. And as much as I'm not a big Tyler Van Dyke guy, I think he has the ability to put together a very good season this year. Finally, this is more controversial, but on the other side of the ACC, I have Syracuse finishing at 7, Sean Tucker, the running back, definitely a name to watch out for. Florida State at 6, Boston College 5. I know they got Phil Jerkovic over at BC. It's going to be a good quarterback. Just, just a, He's a good college quarterback, man. If Boston, that, he's going to make Boston College TV worth watching this year. Louisville at 4, they got one of the better dual threat quarterbacks in the country, Malik Cunningham. I still have Wake Forest finishing at 3 without Sam Hartman. However, I could totally see them in Louisville flipping. Here's the hottest take, Clemson 2. I have NC State as the number one team in the Atlantic. It's a super, super hot take. It's unpopular, but I really like what NC State has this year, and I'm not totally sold on DJ as the quarterback over at Clemson. With that being said, let's look at the awards and the champions for this season. So conference, Big Ten. My Big Ten championship game is OSU in Wisconsin, and I have OSU winning. The Big Ten coach of the year is going to be Ryan Day, and the player of the year is going to be C.J. Stroud. It goes without saying. Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas. It's going to be a a classic Big 12 championship game. I have the Sooners prevailing. Brent Venable is going to win coach of the year. However, the Big 12 player of the year is going to be Texas running back Bajan Robinson. Over the Pac-12, another great matchup for my championship game. I have Utah against USC. USC will win the conference. Lincoln Riley is the coach of the year, and Caleb Williams will be the player of the year. In the SEC, this is a chalky pick, but I don't really care. It's just what I think. Georgia and Alabama will square off. Bama's the champion. Jimbo Fisher, however, I have the... I have AM doing very, very well this year, and even though they aren't going to even make the championship game, Jimbo Fisher is going to be worth recognizing as the SEC Coach of the Year, and Bryce Young will be the SEC Player of the Year. Lastly, ACC, the championship game, I have NC State and Miami. The Coach of the Year is Dave Dorn from NC State, just for alone winning that as, as itself is incredible. And the Player of the Year, I love Daniel Leary. I, this is going to come back to bite me, and I know it's probably going to be Miami and Clemson, but I needed to have a different pick. I needed to stand out, and NC State is that team for me. Let's look at the awards. Actually, let's do my playoff first. I have Bama 1, Ohio State 2, USC 3, Georgia 4. Georgia is going to be the first two-loss team in the playoff. I just can't think of a team outside of them. I guess you'd go ACC, but I have to. if I'm sticking to my guns with NC State, I don't think NC State's going to make the playoff. And I still can't put Bama in, or I can't put Clemson in there if I don't even have them in the ACC championship game. It has to be Georgia at that point. So that's what we're rolling with. Bama-Georgia rematch in the semifinal. Obviously, I'd probably take Bama. And then OSU and USC would be a very fascinating college football playoff semifinal game. The Heisman. Let's do awards. We'll start big. We'll start with the Heisman Trophy. I have my five finalists for all of these awards. And we'll go from there. So the Heisman. At number five, I have Bajan Robinson from Texas. Number four, I have Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. Number three is Bryce Young. Two is Will Anderson, and I have C.J. Stroud winning the Heisman Trophy this year. 
for the Maxwell, it's the exact same standings. I always view those two awards as the exact same, so I didn't see myself needing to flip the, the order. The Davey O'Brien Award goes to the best quarterback in the country. My final five for that are as follows. At number five, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami. At number four, Daniel Leary from NC State. Once again, told you I'm very high on him this season. And then I feel like tier one is that top three. The top three separates themselves. Caleb Williams from USC at three. Bryce Young at two. And CJ Stroud will win the Davey O'Brien. The Fred Bolitnikoff Award. I love this award. Nation's best receiver. At number five, I had to do this. It's a homer pick, but I don't care. Jaden Reed of Michigan State. Number four is Xavier Worthy of Texas. Number three, Jordan Addison of USC. Number two is Kayshawn Boot of LSU. And I have Jackson Smith and Jigbo winning the Bolitnikoff this year from Ohio State. The Doak Walker Award, formerly won by Michigan State's Kenneth Walker, is the best running back in the nation. I had number five, I have Zach Evans from Ole Miss. Number four, Braylon Allen from Wisconsin. Number three, Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State. It's tough. It was tough putting him at three, but Travion Henderson from Ohio State could have a chance to put up some big numbers in that Ohio State offense this year. I just think I put him over Deuce Vaughn because we know more of what Ohio State's offense is going to be. Obviously, at Kansas State, Deuce will be more of the focal point, but he's going to be, and it's for that reason. Like, oh, he's going to get all the touches, therefore defenses are going to game plan more for Deuce Vaughn, so his numbers might not look as great. Whereas for Travion Henderson, obviously defenses have to worry about C.J. Stroud, J.S.N., Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison, and others. That'll open up Henderson for a lot more rushing opportunities. And my Doak Walker winner this year is Bijan Robinson from Texas. I have him winning. He's a top five Heisman guy for me. I have him winning the Big 12 Player of the Year. He is one of the best college running backs in my eyes that we're going to see for a very long time. The John Mackey Award goes to the best, the, the country's best tight end. At number five, I have Sam Laporta from Iowa. At number four, Jaheim Bell from South Carolina. At number three, Michael Trigg from Ole Miss. Two is Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. At number one is Brock Bowers from Georgia. I feel like one and two are very interchangeable. Brock Bowers has just been that guy, and I think Georgia has themselves a real weapon in him, and I think he'll win the Mackey Award. Up next, the Jim Thorpe Award going to the best defensive back in the country. At number five, Clark Phillips from Utah. Number three is Kelly Ringo from Georgia. Number three is Jordan Battle from Alabama. Number two, I mentioned him earlier, Antonio Johnson from Texas A&M. In corner, Eli Ricks from Bama is going to win the Jim Thorpe Award. The Outland Award going to the nation's best defense alignment. Jalen Redman at five. MSU's Jacob Slade at four. Gervin Dexter at three. Clemson's Brian Brees is going to be at number two. And Jalen Carter, the big man from Georgia, will win the Outland Award. Had to throw this one in there. This one's fun. The Lou Groza Award, nation's best kicker. Number five, Will Stone from Texas. At four is Jake Moody from Michigan. Number three, BT Potter from Clemson. I feel like he's been kicking in college for like seven years. Will Reichert from Bama is at number two, and Noah Ruggles, the Ohio State kicker, will win the Lou Groza. I have a lot of OSU winners this year. I have CJ bringing home three awards, JSN winning the Blitnikoff, and now Ruggles winning the Lou Groza. Lastly, we got two more, the Dick Buckus Award, nation's best linebacker, and Chuck Bednark, which is the best defensive player in the country. The Buckus Award, I got Peyton Wilson at five, Trenton Simpson at four, Iowa's Jack Campbell at three, Henry Tuatu at two, number two, from Bama, and Noah Sewell, mentioned him earlier, the linebacker from Oregon will be the best linebacker in the country this year. And lastly, the Chuck Bednark Award going to the best defensive player overall. Jordan Battle, the defensive back from Bama, is at five. The D lineman from Georgia, Jalen Carter, is at four. Corner from Bama, Eli Ricks, is at three. Noah Sewell from Oregon is at two. And the best defensive player in the country this year is Will Anderson. He's got, I have him as the runner-up for the Heisman. He is going to be different this year. Even when he's not making any plays, it's because 
teams are going to have to double and triple team him. That's how dynamic he's going to be for the Crimson Tide this year. That was a big preview. Super pumped for college football. Let's end this thing off by talking about the top 10. More lists, more rankings. The top 10 current college football head coaches. Number 10 is Mel Tucker from my Michigan State Spartans. I'm a little biased. I have to be. You know, I threw Jaden Reed in for the Blitnikoff, Jacob Slade, who I actually think is an incredible defensive lineman in there for the Outland Award. Mel Tucker, man, it's just the impact he's made on a program as to why he's made the top 10 for me. Spartans won 10 games last year. I know it's going to be hard to repeat that this year. We're very much like Kentucky in that boat. But the program is still taking steps forward in terms of the recruiting. 2023 and 2024 have already been off to great starts in the recruiting classes. Mel Tucker's making plays, man. He's he's making moves, and it's, the Spartans are going to start being better, not just now, but in the long run. At number nine, I mentioned I don't really like this guy, but you got to respect what he's done in terms of longevity. Brian Kelly from LSU, formerly of Notre Dame, is at number nine. At number eight, mentioned him earlier in the show. Huge fan of what he's done over at Utah's Cal Winningham. Number seven, Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. It's it's what it's incredible what Luke Fickle's done, taking a non-power five school to the college football playoff. He's been offered so many other jobs, and he's still sticking and building the culture there in Cincinnati. It's very respectable. Number six, Ryan Day from Ohio State. His ability, obviously, to recruit and look at all the weapons and all the players he's developed, both currently that are currently in college and then in the NFL as well. Number five, Lincoln Riley. As much as I hate to say it, he's been a great offensive mind for Oklahoma, and I'm sure USC, with all the talent they have, they're only going to excel this year. Number four, Jimbo Fisher. He's been doing this thing for a long time. Now he's doing well at AM. I have him winning SEC Coach of the Year, and he obviously won a national championship over at Florida State. Number three, Dabo Swinney. Say what you want about the guy. He's a winner. He's won two national titles. That's all he does is win. That's why he's number three. Number two, Kirby Smart. And this is much earned. I definitely could put Dabo at two. Kirby got over that hump last year. He's a great defensive mind, worked under Nick Saban for so many years, and I have him right under him as the number two coach in the nation. And lastly, I feel like you could have guessed this already, Nick Saban, the number one coach, and he will be the number one coach in college football until he steps away from it, which I don't think he ever will. Bama's a juggernaut, and he's the master behind all the plans. So Nick Saban got him at number one for my top ten. I know I just rambled a ton, and I... It just seemed like I could never stop talking, but thank you all. If I went too fast, my apologies. I get super excited about this stuff. Pretty sure you could slow the slow the podcast down on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. In terms of the podcast form of the show, for those of you who don't know, I obviously this the Ox Show was a three year program at the radio station for U46 South Elgin High School but ever since it's gone to podcast form I know we're getting more on a consistent schedule now this is the 40th episode uploaded to Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever else you get your shows so thank you all for listening for 40 episodes we're going to keep cranking these things out football season brings a lot of content and I know I said twice a week this week ran into some things yesterday really hoping we can start springing this thing twice a week starting next week or just whenever we can during football season This was fun. Thank you all for tuning in. Big college football start off this weekend starting tomorrow with some big games. Backyard Brawl, Penn State against Purdue, a couple other ranked teams in in gameplay. And just overall, Labor Day weekend coming up. Happy holiday weekend to everyone. Be safe. All that good junk. And, uh, yeah, thank you all for listening in. We'll be back next week. And until then, I'll catch you guys later. Peace.